Let's take some time to come before the Lord in prayer this morning. Let's lift our prayers to our God. And um, as I pray this morning, um, I invite you to join me. Uh, when I say the line, um, your kingdom come, would you respond, your will be done from the Lord's prayer? So I'll say, your kingdom come, and your response will be, let's pray. Good and loving God, we give thanks for your many blessings this morning. Thank you that we may trust in your loving care for us. Thank you for caring so much for this world that you created, that you've blessed us, you've blessed our world, that you hear our cries for help, that you've never not come to heal and renew us and our creation, this creation. We bring our prayers for the world this morning to you, God. We pray for this created world, for those in every country who rebuild where things have been destroyed, destroyed by the ravages of flood and hurricane and also the ravages of war. We pray for those who fight poverty and hunger and disease and, and still pandemic. For those who have power to bring change for the better and to renew hope in the life of your world. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray for our country of Canada this morning. We pray for those who make our laws, those who guide our common life, those who keep peace and uphold the rule of law. We pray for those who teach and those who heal and all who work for the welfare of our cities and communities in the life of this land. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray this morning for people in need, those whom we know and those who you know and we don't those for whom life is a, is a bitter struggle, those whose lives are diminished by darkness, by powers, by racism and sexism, whose lives are clouded by shame or rejection, whose lives are broken by loss and death. Lord, in the lives of those in need, your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray for this community here at Skyview Community Church. Thank you for the richness of relationship, the blessing of community, for the love and support that we may give each other in your name. Help us to be a community that stands with the poor, that loves the marginalized, that serves 
the voiceless and the neglected. Help us to be a church that proclaims the hope we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is the way and the truth and the life in this land, in this city, and in the life of your church. We pray, O God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, give us perseverance to complete the work you've given us to do, to fulfill our responsibilities, to do our work. Give us grace to treat each other with kindness and love and understanding. Keep us from falling into sin and guide us to do always what is right in your sight. We pray all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I invite you now to join me in a uh, prayer for illumination as we prepare to hear uh, the word of the Lord and the proclamation of the gospel this morning. Um, why don't we, please would you rise in body or in spirit as you are able. Let's pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit that as your scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13, beginning at verse 11. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And here the gospel according to Mark, chapter 13, beginning at verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. Soon, As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. 
so also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I would completely forgive you if you are thinking that we could have chosen a more encouraging and upbeat scripture reading for the first Sunday of Advent. I mean, after all, uh, these next four Sundays, uh, uh, sorry, just had to kill a little bug. Uh, normally, I try not to kill bugs, but this one was really distracting me. These next four weeks, these four Sundays, the run-up to Christmas, it's the beginning of a celebration, the coming of Jesus' first time, Christmas. So it really seems very un-Christmas-like to be reading about apocalypse and the end of the world. Surely the preacher could have chosen better. Come on, man as they say on the NFL broadcast. But friends, this is what you get when you follow the historic Christian church's pattern, uh, its focus on the first Sunday of Advent, the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Advent is a word that means coming or appearance. At Christmas, we celebrate the first coming of God in Christ who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. Last week, Pastor Doug's message was a reminder to us that Christ came and reigns over us now as the risen and ascended Christ. But Christians also anticipate a future second coming when Christ will return at the end of history and the kingdom of God will be fully realized on earth as it is in heaven and he will come to judge the living and the dead as it says in the Apostles' Creed. The season of Advent asks, are you ready for that? Are you ready for the second coming of Jesus? That's what the church asks on the first Sunday of Advent. Now, I don't think it would be too hard for you to notice that our society prepares for the coming of God by going shopping. 
we ramp up our consumerism. The high priests of consumerism use Advent to sell us things. My case in point, the Advent calendar. Friends, it's out of control. I don't like going to the mall, any mall, any time. But I found myself a couple of weeks ago at the Cross Iron Mills with my wife. And I noticed that every store seemed to be selling an Advent calendar. And just to test my theory, I popped into Toys R Us. And sure enough, there are Harry Potter Advent calendars. There are Star Wars Advent calendars. There's a Playmobil NHL Road to the Cup Advent calendar promising your kid, I quote, the journey from young child hockey fan to NHL superstar (laughs) with a professional contract and all. Wow, talk about building anticipation, huh, in Advent. Well, I thought surely that, yeah, I'd never been to the Bass Pro Shop. And I thought surely the madness of the Advent calendar will end when I get to the Bass Pro Shop. No. (laughs) I learned that you can buy your favorite angler, the Bass Pro Mystery Tackle Box, 12 Days of Fishmas. (laughs) I kid you not. And surely you've seen all the booze-themed Advent calendars, you know, 28 single malt whiskeys or 28 beers. I mean, you can drink your way all the way through Christmas. Presumably, the irony is lost on many that for Christians, Advent is about sobriety. It's about unblurring our vision. It's about being ready for the coming of the light. It's not about numbing ourselves with drinking or shopping or whatever. Whatever we think might make us feel better. Advent is a time of wakefulness and preparation for the coming of God. The God who came, the God who reigns over us now as the risen and ascended Jesus, and the God who will come again. The Jesus who will come again. Are you awake? Are you woke? Are you prepared for that? So in our gospel reading, in Mark 13, Jesus says the same to his disciples. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you don't know the time. I don't even know, says Jesus. And as chapter 13 in Mark's gospel begins, if you go to the beginning of that reading, um, Jesus is with his disciples, and they're admiring the temple in Jerusalem. And the, the disciples are, are ooing and aahing. Um, and then Jesus remarks that the day will come when this beautiful temple will be reduced to rubble. And the disciples are astonished when they hear that, that this beautiful, to them it's the most beautiful building in the world as far as they knew. And they're thinking, destroyed? How could that be? Later, Jesus is with some of his closest followers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're sitting on the slopes of Mount Olivet, just outside Jerusalem. They're looking at the city. They see the beautiful buildings of of the temple, and they ask Jesus, Jesus, do you remember you said something about that temple being reduced to rubble? When? How? When will this happen, and what will be the signs that it's going to happen? 
And so Jesus goes on to describe a litany of horrors. There will be false messiahs, wars, rumors of war, famines, earthquakes. Jesus says, I'll die. My followers will be persecuted. They'll be beaten. They'll be imprisoned. They're going to experience suffering and pain of every kind. And Jesus says, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, I, I can't tell you what birth pain feels like for obvious reasons, but I live with the woman who is the mother of my children, and so I think I can say with some confidence that no one would normally enjoy nausea, fatigue, water retention, a sudden aversion to foods that they once loved, a craving for pickles at 3 a.m. For me, these would be signs that something is going very wrong. But for my wife, they were a strange comfort. Signs that things were going very right. Signs that life was beginning in her. So it's no coincidence that Jesus uses this metaphor of birth pains when he's describing these events, these horrible events in Mark 13. These events mark just the beginning of the end. But these events are signs that God himself is conceiving a new world, his new creation, the age of a kingdom to come. Jesus is saying that the appearance of things that normally signal that things are very wrong will actually be reminders to his followers that in truth, things are very right. It's interesting to note that these words in Mark 13 that Jesus says are being shared with four of his closest followers. It's not a sermon preached to the masses on the, the hillside or something like that. Jesus is in private conversation. He's explaining things to those closest to him. And as devoted followers, they know what Jesus is saying is true. In that very same week, they saw Jesus clear the currency exchangers out of the temple and challenge the sacrificial system of the temple. They saw him curse uh, a fig tree to its being withered. Um, and now they know what he's saying about the temple is no joke, and they want to know when, how. And as these true disciples listen to Jesus describe the trials and the beatings and the tribulations ahead, they're sitting there on the side of the hill overlooking Jerusalem and the glorious temple, and you can see them shaking their heads and thinking, how? How could that be? But they know these hard words of Jesus are true. But herein lies a strange comfort. Comfort in prophecies and wars and uh, uh, prophecies of wars and famines, predictions of fright and flight and betrayal. No. Comfort in the truth that this is not all there is. If the words about these tribulations are true, so too are the words that Jesus will return someday. Jesus knows that suffering will come. He knows it will come to him and it will come to his friends after he is gone. But he says this to his friends, 
But in those days, after that tribulation, after the calamity and desolation, you will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. That's why Jesus can tell these followers of his, don't worry, don't be alarmed, don't be afraid. But not, not because they'll get a pass on sorrow, on suffering, on bearing pain. It's not based on assurances that they'll never be falsely accused, that their children will never suffer, that disease will never ravage the city they live in. That wars will only be fought in countries they don't live in. The words of comfort Jesus gives in Mark chapter 13 are grounded in the truth that he will return. So this is the strange but very real comfort of Advent's message that Jesus is coming again. I mean, it, it, it sometimes looks as though the works of darkness are no match for the armor of light. Our world groans under the weight of sin. You don't need to look too far or too closely to see it. It's hatred, it's divisions, um, it's tyrannical regimes, it's inequalities, systemic racism, gender violence, slavery, trafficking. Yet, these all remind the followers of Jesus that everything is very right because it's just as Jesus said it would be. But here, we need to register a very important word of caution. When we hear of war and persecution and injustice, that's not our cue to say, well, that's exactly how Jesus said things would go and then get back to our hobbies. When we read in our news feeds that entire ecosystems are on the verge of being destroyed. Um, because of climate change. Or that foreign workers are being exploited in our country. Or that people on our streets are going hungry. You know, I, I heard just on the news in the last few weeks that someone who is appointed to investigate what's going on in Canada's prisons has just reported that the over-representation of indigenous persons and people of color in Canada's prisons, by quite a bit, is increasing. And it's increased in the last 10 years, in spite of all the things that we say are wrong about that. When we hear these stories and see these signs, we don't just sigh and move on to more Netflix binging. Just because Jesus says these things are going to happen doesn't mean the followers of Jesus don't attempt to do all that they can to promote flourishing, to relieve suffering. For this would fly, you know, to do anything less would fly in the face of so much that Jesus teaches and models in the Gospels. In fact, both Jesus and Paul make the point that even though we don't know something very important, which is when Jesus will return again, we don't know that. We do know something about what to do with our lives until then. We can bring ourselves under the reign of Christ right now. 
And we can go about our lives and live as though they matter in light of what is to come. We can live with eternity in view because we've been given a glimpse of that future kingdom. We're familiar with its terrain. It's a kingdom of love and peace, what the Bible calls shalom. Shalom isn't, is peace, but it's not just an absence of conflict. It's a, it's a flourishing of right relationship. People at peace with one another. Broken relationships re- restored. Relationship with the environment at peace. The end of war. Um, it's interesting. We didn't read this reading today, but one of the, uh, in the season of Advent, the church reads the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. And today's reading in the, the book of Isaiah uh, gives us a glimpse, a glimpse of that kingdom, that kingdom of peace. Um, it reads uh, like this. It reads, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that he may walk, that we may walk in his paths. Um, he shall come and he will judge between the nations and decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Here's the glimpse. And their spears will be beaten into pruning hooks, and nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's what's going on with shalom. That's the kingdom that's coming. Um, Paul, as well, in the the reading we read this morning, says, wake up, prepare your lives. And in the part just before that, he says, the law of God is summed up in this, love your neighbor. Love. That's what we need to get ready uh, in our lives for the coming of God. Um, when, When Jesus comes again, the nations will unlearn war. And the God of peace will reign. Uh, One of the writers I read says, the tanks will be turned into John Deere tractors. (laughs) The long guns will be used to build fences for vineyards. The missile silos will become grain silos that will feed the world. And so we do not fear this coming. We do not fear the coming of of Jesus, but rather we wait in hope and anticipation for the king of love and the prince of peace to return. Now, going back to this interesting passage in Mark's gospel, some of those who first heard Jesus' words when he uttered them, when they were recorded in Mark's gospel, they would live to see the prophecy about the temple. Because in the year 70 AD, the Romans ransacked Jerusalem, and they did destroy the temple. So some people saw that. Jews fled the city, and they were condemned to torture and death before councils and courts. But the followers of Jesus ultimately prevailed. They lived, and they preached boldly. And when they died, they died without fear. They listened to their teacher's words and believed them to be true. They believed Jesus when he said, watch for these signs and don't be afraid. They believed him when he said, after these tribulations, you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And filled with his spirit, they were empowered to proclaim 
the gospel, and it changed the world. And though it has experienced every kind of tribulation in every age, the church of Jesus Christ is still here. It's outlasted every government and ruler and regime in every part of the world. It transcends difference and division of every kind. It unites people in worship and prayer all over the world. It's been doing that for 2,000 years. And we pray with brothers and sisters around the world in Christ. This prayer, this prayer, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, that's what the early Christians prayed. It means come, Lord Jesus. And yet this question remains. As the world groans today in its birth pain, why hasn't Jesus' second advent happened? Many of the prophecies of Mark 13 have been fulfilled, except that one. The temple has been destroyed. Uh, the followers of Jesus have been persecuted in every country, in every century. 2,000 years have gone by, and still Jesus has not returned. Why? What is God waiting for? When will God's kingdom come in its fullness? Jesus never asks us to predict. Um, Jesus never asks us to make checklists about his second advent. About that day of his return, he simply says, I don't know. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the Son, only the Father. But when God decides it's time, then we will know. But until then, we're told to keep awake and wait with hope, with compassion, and to keep busy. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. And then they will see, and then you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and it is true. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. We long for your kingdom to come, Jesus. We long for your saving judgment on our world. Our world longs for your perfect peace, for your shalom. Come, Lord Jesus. May we be awake. May we live so alertly in the present that we will be ready for the future. We wait in expectation and hope for your coming, for we are your people. Amen. We gather together, metaphorically, around the table of the Lord this morning, the Lord's table. Jesus is our host, and he offers us a table of life and hope. We remember that the Lord is here. His spirit is with us. We lift up our hearts to the Lord, 
and we give him our thanks and praise. On the night that Jesus gathered with his disciples in an upper room, the night that he was to be betrayed unto death, he transformed a Passover meal into a picture, an image of the kingdom of God. And he took some bread in his hands, and after giving thanks for it, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This bread is my body, broken for you. Eat this and remember me. And after supper, he did the same with the cup. Saying, this cup is my blood shed for you. And with it, God makes a new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this and remember me. Let's pray. O oh God, pour out your spirit on all of us gathered here around your table. And on these gifts of bread and wine, make them for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Amen.